Well, this is Panama Today. This is Pastor Bill Wilbur here in Gamble, music and inspiration to help you live for Jesus. Well, yesterday you were listening to War in Heaven and Earth by Derek Prince. Well, we had to chop off at part of what he was saying, so we're going to back up about five minutes worth, something like that, and then we'll continue on in this program. For those of you getting this for the first time, uh, this will help you a lot, getting a little bit better idea of what we're talking about, War in Heaven and Earth by Derek Prince. Now, I want to just give you a brief description of what demons are as I understand it. My understanding is limited, uh, but I'll give you the best I have. I think the best thing to say is that they are persons without bodies. Demons have real personality. They have distinctive personalities. One demon is not exactly like another. I remember something so vivid. I was dealing with a man his wife had come to me and said, Brother Prince, my husband needs deliverance. And I made a mistake. I prayed for him on the basis of what his wife asked, you see? I never have done that again. If he needs deliverance, let him tell me he needs deliverance. When I started to pray for the man and he started to get violent. And his wife drew me aside and said, Brother Prince, at home he throws chairs at me. So I said, well, why didn't you tell me that before we started? <laughs> Anyhow, the demons were speaking out of the man and one of them said, I'm unclean. And I thought, now, I don't want to embarrass the man in front of his wife. I could think of all sorts of unclean things that might be the problem. But I said, you spirit of unclean thoughts, come out of the man. He said, that's not my name. <laughs> I said, come out anyhow. He said, that's not my name. I mean, you can't easily understand how much of an individual a demon is. It wanted to be recognized by the right name. Well, eventually it came out, but the last thing it said before it came out was, that's not my name. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to impress upon you the fact we're dealing with real persons with characteristic attributes. I've already pointed out, but I'll say again, two things. First of all, the word is not devil. The word devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, which means a slanderer, and is a title of Satan himself. The things we are dealing with are daimonions, demons, and they are not devils. They are another kind of being. Where do they come from? Well, I don't believe anybody has an absolutely authoritative answer. In my thinking, the most probable explanation is they are disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race that perished under the judgment of God between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. I'm glad to discover that our pastor more or less thinks the same. Am I right? Good, thank you. That's encouraging. I mean, we may be wrong, but that's the best that I can come up with. But the most distinctive fact about demons is they desperately crave to occupy a body. 
They are not satisfied until they get inside a body. Preferably they would occupy the body of a man or a woman. But rather than be disembodied, they would rather go into the body of pigs. Because you remember the man of Gadara, the demons said, send us into the pigs. We don't want to be disembodied. What they didn't realize was that going into the pigs would cause the death of the pigs and they were left after that with the same problem again. But what I'm trying to deal with is you're dealing with a person who hasn't got a body and desperately craves to be in a body because as I believe only through a body can they exercise their ungodly lusts. If it's a demon of alcohol it has to have a human throat through which to consume. If it's a demon of sexual immorality it has to have sexual organs through which it can operate. If it's a demon of hatred it has to have emotions that it can play upon to work through. In other words, we are surrounded by an invisible host of persons without bodies desperately craving to occupy bodies and desperately struggling not to be out of bodies. Now, I think I need to say a little bit briefly how I became involved. I did not volunteer for this ministry. First of all, when I became a pastor of a very small Pentecostal congregation in West London in the early 1950s, I had a serious ongoing problem with depression. I know none of you have ever struggled with depression, but be patient with me, I did. And it threatened to destroy my ministry because I had this continual sense, I'm a failure, I won't succeed, I can't do it. And I struggled and struggled. I did not know the answer. But I was directed to a passage in Isaiah chapter 61. What I thank God for is I always had the Bible. And I always turned to the Bible. And I always accepted the Bible as authoritative and final. And that has protected me and preserved me through many different problems and situations. But it's this famous passage which Jesus quoted in the synagogue in Nazareth. Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And as I was reading that passage, God showed me that's your problem. It's a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of grief, an unhappy spirit. And let me tell you, the, the protection is a garment of praise. When you wear a garment of praise, that spirit cannot have access to you. But I had grown up, I can't go into all my background, but I had exposed myself in many ways to demons. And there was the spirit of heaviness. Then God brought to me the passage in Joel chapter 2 verse 32, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And so in my desperation all alone, I called on the name of the Lord. I said, Lord, deliver me from this spirit of heaviness. And something stirred inside me in my chest. I let out a kind of 
mixture of a sob and a groan and I felt something like a dark cloud lifting from me and I realized I had been delivered from a spirit of heaviness or a spirit of mourning or a spirit of grief. But that didn't immediately plunge me into the public ministry. It was later on when I was in Seattle, Washington, pastoring another small Pentecostal church and I was involved with, a lot with the full gospel businessmen. One day a Baptist pastor phoned me and he said, Brother Prince, I have a woman in my congregation who needs deliverance from demons. Well, I wasn't used, used to Baptist pastors saying things like that. But what he said after that was still more astonishing. He said, God has shown me that you and your wife are to be the instruments of her deliverance. Well, I don't let people's revelation dictate to me. So I sent a quick telegram up to heaven. What, what about it? And I got the answer, well, this is from me. So I said, all right. I made an appointment, bring the woman and we'll do our best. Well, we chose, we chose a Saturday morning and at that time I just become friends with a Presbyterian couple who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And while we were waiting for the Baptist lady to come, the Presbyterian couple turned up. So we said, well, you might as well stay. We don't know what's going to happen, but it could be exciting. <laughs> well. Along comes the Baptist pastor with this lady who had been the secretary of the church at one time. She was aged about 35, I would say. She was a perfectly normal American housewife. I scanned her from every angle. I couldn't see anything strange about her. No metallic tone in her voice, no fire in her eyes, just an ordinary Baptist, good Baptist. But the pastor was convinced. So he sat her down in the chair and he said, now she's already been delivered from a demon of nicotine. I thought she has. And, but he said there are others. So he stood in front of her and started to shout at the demons. Well, I learned by experience later that you don't get any more power by shouting. Demons are not deaf. <laughs> Even spirits of deafness are not deaf. You don't need to shout and it's wasting energy. Anyhow, he stood there and shouted at this demon, I command you to come out and nothing seemed to happen. Then he said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And the woman's face changed. A different expression came over her face. Well, he stood there quite a long while and didn't get any further. So he stepped back and I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I stood in front of the woman and I had all the theology. I said, now you spirit that's in this woman, I'm speaking to you and not to the woman. What is your name? And it wouldn't answer. So I said, I command you in the name of Jesus to answer. What is your name? And we went on like this for a while and suddenly it answered. But before it answered, she changed. She crossed her hands over her throat and started to throttle herself. And I had this Presbyterian brother who was taller and heavier than I am. It took our united strength to pull her arms away from her throat. Well then, we got past that stage and suddenly the demon responded, my name is hate. And when it said hate, every 
feature of the woman's face registered the most unutterable hatred. I had never seen such pure hatred in anybody's eyes. So I said, you demon of hate, come out of this woman. And this gruff masculine voice answered out of the woman, I'm not coming out. This is my house. I've lived here 35 years and I'm not coming out. Well, I checked everything with the Bible mentally. I thought, that's right. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, it goes through dry places seeking rest. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I went out. So that's scriptural. So I beat it down with the name of Jesus and with scripture. And suddenly it came out with a loud, prolonged roar. And as it came out, the woman slumped forward, relaxed, and this tension in me subsided. I knew it had gone. But the demon had said before it came out, even if I come out, my brothers are here and they'll kill her. So I knew there was more than one demon. So anyhow, we went through this. It must have lasted two or three hours. And about seven or eight different spirits came out. One that really impressed me was self-pity. And I began to understand some of the ways people respond that are not natural. The last spirit that came out was a spirit of death. And again I checked, I thought, is this scriptural? I thought death is a physical condition. But then I remembered in Revelation chapter 6, there was a rider on a horse whose name was death. So death can be a person. Well, when the spirit of death came out, this woman was stretched out on her back on the floor, absolutely limp. Her face was totally pale, there was no color. Her skin was, was cold. If you had come in and looked at her, you would have said there's a dead person on the floor. Well, she lay there for about 10 minutes and put her arms up in the air and started to speak in tongues. Now, one of the things the demons had said I had said, how did you come into this woman? And it said, that is death. I said, when did you come into this woman? It said, three and a half years ago, when she nearly died on the operating table. So I stored all this up. Well then, the woman was apparently delivered, so I delivered her back to the Baptist pastor and he drove her off. About halfway through the week, the woman phoned Lydia and me and said, I think they're trying to come back. Can you come and help me? So we drove out to the home, talked with the woman, and I diagnosed that it was fear that she was afraid they would come back and this was opening the door. But while we were there, she had a little daughter of six who was a shy, thin, rather unhappy looking little girl. And everywhere we walked, she walked with us. But every time I looked at her, she averted her eyes. She would not look me in the eyes. So I said to the mother, you know, I think your daughter has some of the same problems you have. But she said, will you pray for her? I said, by all means. So the next Saturday morning, we had the daughter there. And basically, we went through much of the same with the daughter as with the mother. Most of the same spirits that were in the mother came out of the daughter. Not all of them. But hate was one and death was one. And when the death came out of the little girl, she was stretched flat on, the, on her back on the floor, looking like a dead person. So I, I checked on them for about two years. Apparently they remained free. The little girl had been graded retarded. 
she became a normal, happy, healthy little girl. Well then, gradually, by stages, the Lord launched me into a ministry of mass deliverance. And I've conducted ministries of that kind in Russia, in Kazakhstan, in Turkey, in New Zealand, in Australia, in at least a dozen nations. And I discovered that you can do it en masse. I'm not saying it's the best way, but when the needs are so desperate, you have to do what you can. And I've learned to instruct people, help them to identify their problem, show them how to be delivered, and pray for them. They will be delivered. And I'm willing to do that here tonight, later on, if by any chance any of you should happen to need it. <laughs> now, I want to answer some of the common questions. How do they come in? And my answer is usually through a moment or a place of weakness. The devil searches for the weak moment or the weak place to come in. Now, what are the moments or places of weakness? This is not an exhaustive list, but it'll give you some understanding. First of all, prenatal. Many infants are born with a demon in them. And it happens because of something that the mother did or didn't do. And the greatest single problem that exposes children to demons, unborn children, is involvement in the occult. And I want to say, you cannot get involved in the occult in any form without being exposed to demons. There was a proverb that used to say, he who sups with the devil needs a spoon with a long handle. I want to tell you there is no spoon made with a handle long enough to make it safe to sup with the devil. And I want to read from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18 in the NIV because the language is more up to date. This is what God says about the occult. That is involvement with any kind of spirits that aren't spirits from God. Uh, it's, it's written to to Israel before they entered the land. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 9. When you enter the land your, the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. So the first kind of person is those who actually make their own children living sacrifices, presenting them in a furnace to the God Merlech. And I want you to understand, it's very important, all the other practices that follow are in the same category with offering your infant as a sacrifice to Molech. God doesn't put any distinction. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery. You know what divination is? Fortune telling. It's trying to discern something supernaturally by a spirit that is not from God. Every fortune teller is a diviner. If you've ever been to a fortune teller, you've been exposed to a spirit of divination. I remember dealing with a woman who needed spirit, deliverance from the spirit of divination. She said, I can't understand how it ever came into me. But I discovered that in the newspaper, she regularly read the horoscope pages. That's all you need to do. 
None of you I know ever did that. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, which is rampant in the United States today, from the top of the nation downward, from the White House downward, witchcraft is rampant. Or who casts spells, or is a medium, or a spiritist, or consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Anyone who does any of those things is detestable. If you go to a fortune teller, that's detestable. God puts it in the same category with people who offer their infants in sacrifices to an evil God. You might say, well, what's wrong with the occult? I'll try to explain it this way. When you get involved in the occult, you're making friends with God's enemies. And God takes note of that. And you have to repent and you have to cancel any involvement if you want help from God. I have another very common demon that enters unborn children is the demon of rejection. Um, see, every little baby comes into the world craving one thing more than anything else, which is what? Love, that's right. But you see, the mother has got too many children, she hasn't got enough income, she discovers she's pregnant, and she regrets it. She doesn't have to say anything. She just says, I wish I didn't, wasn't going to have this baby. That baby is born with a spirit of rejection. Now this is true of my second wife, Ruth. She was born in the height of the Depression in 1930. She was the eighth child and her mother was already struggling to feed the seven previous children. And without saying anything, the mother resented having another mouth to feed. And Ruth had to be delivered from a spirit of rejection. Thank God we knew what to do and she was wonderfully delivered. But rejection is one of the commonest demons and it enters very frequently while a person is still in his mother's womb. And then there are pressures in early childhood. James chapter 3 and verse 16 says this, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. So in a strife-torn, disharmonious home, the children, born or unborn, are automatically exposed to demons. And most children do not have strong enough defenses to keep the demons out. So any child born in an unhappy, strife-torn, divided home is exposed to demons. How many such homes are there in the United States today? There are many, aren't there? See, parents are responsible to maintain an atmosphere in their homes in which the children can grow up free from demonic molestation. But very few parents in contemporary America are doing it. That's one reason why I wrote my book, Husbands and Fathers. Because the number one failure in American culture is the husband and the father. And everything ultimately revolves around him. It's wonderful what wives and mothers can do, but no wife and mother is a substitute for a father. And the greatest single need of America today is men who are real fathers. Amen? amen. Come on, you ladies, you say amen.
That's right. Now, I have been married to two wonderful women. I am not a woman hater. Never was and never will be. And I admire women. In fact, I'm jealous for women. I want the best for them. I hate to see them prostituting themselves to the world. I have high standards for women. I know what a woman can be. Now, please don't misunderstand me. When I say we need fathers, I'm not saying we don't need mothers. But that we have more good mothers than we have good fathers today. But many, many children in contemporary America are exposed to demons in early childhood and most of them do not have the spiritual defenses to keep them out. Then there's what I call emotional shock or continued emotional pressure. I remember a woman telling me once she needed to be delivered from a spirit of fear. I said, how did it enter? When she said, I was standing on the sidewalk and a terrible accident happened in front of me. And at that moment, I was seized with fear and I realized the demon of fear entered me. Now let me give you a scripture about that. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6. This is speaking about Christian women. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. So to be a daughter of, of Sarah, you have to be not afraid with any terror. You have not to give way to sudden emotional shock. But if you do, it's very possible that a demon will enter. Then another way they come, which is obvious, is sinful acts or habits. If you continually indulge in a sinful act, repeating it, sooner or later, and maybe sooner than later, the demon of that act will enter you. If you continually in, give way to sinful habits or foolish habits. <laughs> I was praying in a church once and a woman came up to me and there were several other people around them. Whatever she said, I said, I think you have a demon of criticism. So do you want me to cast it out? She said, yes. I said, you demon of criticism, come out. Well, about three people all around started to get delivered at the same time. <laughs> Criticism is a sinful habit and can expose you to demons. Let me talk about one that nobody talks about in church. So because people don't talk about it in church, churchgoers have to go to a psychiatrist for help. But I'm talking about masturbation. Now some people say masturbation is natural, it's not evil. I don't agree but you're free to have your opinion. But what I do know is there are masses and masses of people who regularly masturbate and hate themselves for doing it. And they say never again and a little while later they're doing the same thing again. Now that is a demon. It's a demon of masturbation. And because I don't want to embarrass you later, I'll tell you how it will come out. It will come out of your hands and your fingers. And you feel this tingling in your fingers. And your fingers will begin to go stiff and maybe bend backwards. I've seen this happen many times. A person will come up to his brother and say, I don't say what, understand what's happening to me. My fingers are tingling and they're bending backwards. I'd say, you have a demon of masturbation. 
hate it, get rid of it. And I want to tell you, masturbation will not go out unless you hate it. You have to really hate it. But you might say, I'm a married man and happily married. Thank God you are. But I have cast a demon of masturbation out of a man of 50 who was married. But he still was a slave to masturbation. And let me speak to you frankly for a moment. What happens when a married partner has masturbation demon is the satisfaction from the sexual act that the other person should get goes to the demon and not to the person. Can you understand what I'm saying? I hope you can. I'm trying to be frank without offensive. You've been listening to part two on war in the heaven and earth. Very practical, very powerful words here. Panama today, this is your host, Pastor Bill Wilbur, here in Gamboa, music and inspiration. Tomorrow we're going to listen to part three, which is the conclusion of this message, War in Heaven and Earth by Derek Prince. I will see you on the next go-round of Panama Today. Yeah.